Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you. I cannot believe that uh, we are at 2020 already. Here we go, a new decade. And um, we wanted to just have this conversation about uh, what what we should be reaching for in the new year. And, you know, I want to start off um, telling you this story. Uh, There is a guy... Uh, His name is Kurt Richardson, Kurt Richardson, and he started a company uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and basically it was like a a mold uh, injection company where he would um, take uh, make tools by, you know, basically he'd tell people, if you wanted to uh, sell a product, make a product, you know, you come to me, I'll build you the mold and then we'll inject plastic into it and basically make whatever it is that you, that you want to sell. And so they started doing this and they had all kinds of fun different things. They had, uh, they had this spout that would punch into oil cans. I don't know if any remember this, but oil used to come in a can uh, before we got smart and put it into something else. And uh, <clears throat> when, of course, things transitioned into the plastic oil can that you could close and turn over, that, that product really didn't sell very well. Um, they had other things. They had waterproof things. They made boxes. They made a, uh, a toilet paper holder. It was called uh, the Lucy Goosey Toilet Paper Holder. Yeah. And they would, they would, they would, basically you'd take toilet paper and you stick it in this box and you could hang it up on a tree when you're camping and it wouldn't get wet. Right there, ready to go when you're ready to go. Um, I don't know if that was it. They made cases for duck calls. They did a lot of stuff for the outdoors until finally uh, Kurt realized that he could not really make a living off of this because there were there was all these different products that they were making molds for and the ones that were successful were being overshadowed by the ones that were not successful and it was basically a wash and so he knew that he had to reevaluate things and realign it to what what really mattered most what would really sell and so the things that were selling most was the things that were in uh, waterproof uh, boxes and so they decided we're going to make just waterproof boxes and they love the outdoors and so they started making these waterproof boxes for the outdoors and people loved it they started growing and they'd go to these trade shows and when they'd get to the trade shows they'd see these fans and stuff of the products and say i love this you know i can put my wallet in it i can put my keys in it i can go kayaking i can go fishing and it wouldn't get wet and uh, but i have this device that i'm putting in it but i can't use it it's called a pda and uh, for those of you looking at me funny uh, and are a little younger it's not public display of affection 
it's the early stages of a smartphone, okay? That's what a PDA is, Palm Pilot. And uh, so these people were getting their, their Palm Pilots, they're sticking it in the box, but they couldn't use it. And so um, Kurt says, I think, I, can, I think we can design something. And so they designed something that they could actually use the, the device inside the waterproof box. Ingenious and sold like hotcakes. And they realized that this, this was the new most important thing. And so they reevaluated everything, realigned everything to that, and just made cases. And it wasn't long before the iPhone came out. And did you know that the iPhone was the, and, and smartphones in general, it was the fastest accepted technology in the history of man. More people adopted uh, uh, smartphones quicker than any other thing that we've ever come up with. Doesn't that just blow your mind? And so they were there ready for the explosion of smartphones and they created waterproof cases. And that company is actually one of the largest producers of cases today. It's called Otterbox. Now, Otterbox would not be in existence today if they weren't continuously thinking about what is most important. They had to reevaluate things and narrow down their focus. And friends, that's what I want us to think about today in our message. We have to realign ourselves for 2020, this new decade, what is most important? The cool thing about a new year is uh, it's like a clean slate. It's new opportunities. We like to set resolutions and goals and strategies, and we start to think, how can my life be a little bit better? How can my family be better? How can my career or my finances? And we think about all these things, and I love this because I think that God wants us to do this. But before we do any of that, I believe we've got to understand, we've got to realign ourselves to what is most important. And, and Jesus is asked this question in the New Testament. Uh, the Pharisees are trying to challenge him. They're, in some ways, they're trying to trick him. And, and the Pharisee comes up to him and says, what is, what is most important? And they're looking for a big fight. And Jesus says simply, this is most important. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That is number one. Number two is love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else Anything else in the scriptures, anything else that's going on in the world, anything else that God would have to ask you, anything else that might be important, it falls under those two things. Love God and love others. If we can realign ourselves to that, we will always be on top. Our, our, imagine the power of this congregation, of this church, of our families if we were realigned to that truth. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to flesh this out a little bit. Next week, Pastor Scott's going to be talking about uh, what it means to love your neighbor. Today, we're going to look at what it means to love 
God. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's on page 846. We're going to start in verse 17. And here's what I hope we get out of this. I hope that we walk away with this with a declaration. A declaration that says, this year is for the love of God. This year, the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm planning, my goals, the, the, the choices that I make is for the love of God. Now, I mean, we say this phrase a lot, right? I mean, how many times have you been driving and somebody's just not moving at the traffic lot? And you're like, for the love of God, you know, we say this in frustration, you know. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was driving home after a uh, uh, Christmas over at my in-laws house it's about two and a half three hours it feels like seven hours everybody's tired my you know, the little guys are wound up because we for some reason gave them sugar and there's all kinds of screaming going on and we're like just try to be quiet blah, blah, just try to be quiet blah, blah. and my wife's saying now oh, why are you driving so fast and and my oldest kid is, is yelling at the younger kids and finally I just scream out for the love of God Everybody be quiet. You know, I mean, you felt this way before. And I think we use that, that phrase actually appropriately because the reality is we've tried everything else. There's no other persuasion that's going to convince them because you're clearly not doing it because it's reasonable. You're clearly not doing it because for the love of me. You're clearly not doing it for humanity's sake. So maybe, just maybe, for the love of God. <laughs> You would not do this. And, and, and that is exactly what I want for us, for myself in 2020. For the love of God, that all the other reasoning, all the other purposes, the, the, the possibilities that we do things, you know, the things that we do things, the reason that we do things, all those things we push away because what really matters is our love of God, everything else will fall into place when that is right. And that brings us to the story today. This is a real story that we're about to read in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. It's like a 60-mile journey um, he, you can imagine that he has this disciples, he has this following coming after him, and he's passing through an area where a man, a very wealthy man, comes and approaches him. And that's where we pick up the story. Look there at uh, verse 17 with me. It says, And he was setting out, Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
Then he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus said. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution that in the age to come eternal life many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the weeding of your word. I thank you so much for um, bringing us and giving us the word, Lord God. I, I pray, Lord, that you, it would, um, you would just use um, the, the teaching this morning to open up our hearts and our minds. Father, may none of us leave here unchanged. Lord God, I know I'm inadequate. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd open up each one of our hearts, Lord, that we may love you more, that you would be Lord of our lives. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This is a big story. There is a lot of really cool things going on here. And we won't have time to flesh it all out, but just to show the importance of this story, it's in all uh, of the synoptic gospels. And the story is told with great clarity, I believe. And the thing that sticks out to me really the most is the intention here at the beginning of this man. He's, uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's pretty wealthy. 
And he's not just wealthy, though. He's a young guy, and he has a lot of influence, okay? In Luke, they actually say that he is a ruler. And so he has some sort of authority. We don't know if he's uh, some, got some sort of high office in, in the Roman government, or maybe he runs a synagogue. We don't really know. But he has some type of ruling authority. And so what blows my mind is that this man in the beginning of the story sees Jesus and comes running after him. He comes running after him like he has some sort of great need. And not only does he run after him, he gets on his knees before him in this humble position. You see, this guy has it all. He's got wealth. He's got influence. He's got fame. He's young enough that I'm actually surprised he's even asking the question about eternal life. I mean, young guys don't normally look forward that far. They're more so thinking about the here and now. Maybe, just maybe, he's had some sort of experience where someone close to him has died or something serious has happened that made him just start thinking about the future. But either way, I think he's earnestly coming to Jesus and asking, how do I get, how do I obtain eternal life? He's in this humble position. And you can imagine a guy with this kind of status, he's got a bit of an entourage following him around, and he doesn't really run to anybody because he can take care of himself. Could you imagine what this might be like, the scene this creates, you know? I try to picture myself like in a busy place, like a shopping mall or something, and some guy coming out of the crowd, running to me and getting on my hands and knees and asking me for something. It's crazy. Way out of line, humiliating for that guy. He honestly earnestly asked, how do I obtain eternal life? There's a hole in me. I've tried, I've filled it, tried to fill it, right? I've tried to get uh, a status. I've worked my way up in the system. I've treated people ways so that I could climb up. I've, I've gained all this wealth and power and I still have this hole. You know, we all have that hole. I think all of us know deep down inside, no matter how much you try, no matter how good you are at your job, no matter how many children you have that you think defines who you are, no matter how good you are, no matter what you do in your life, there's still this reality that we're made for something more than just the 80, 90 years that we live here. I feel like I'm made from more. There's a hole in me. And this guy has reached the pinnacle at such a young age. And he sees it. And here he is down in front of the Savior. How do I obtain eternal life? And this story starts out so good. Because I think that's where all of us need to be on our knees. How do I obtain eternal life? But Jesus answers him almost a little awkwardly. 
And, I, you know, Jesus has this intuition. I think he can see through the theatrics of it all and see through what, what he is really, and see to what he is really thinking and feeling and the things that he's struggling with. And so Jesus doesn't just answer him, oh, well, this is how you do it. He does what every good rabbi does at that time, and he says a question. He asks him a question. He says, why? Look at me. Look with me in verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And then he goes on and says, so, you know, the commandments, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He's going through all these different things, and this, this seems to be backwards from what we know the, of the message of the gospel. And, and it seems wild to me that Jesus would even question, is he questioning? He says, why do you call me good? Is he questioning that he is God? And I don't know exactly what's going on here, but he's definitely making this man think. Why do you use the word good? Now, to you and me, the word good uh, says, you know, we use use the word good to mean a lot of different things. But they use the word good very differently. You see, that good actually represented divine. No one is good. In our culture, we say, uh, you know, that boy, you know, like, ah, he's a good kid. And usually when we say, ah, he's a good kid, we mean he's done some bad things. But he's still a good kid. Come on. They didn't use good that way. In fact, for him to come up and say, good teacher, good rabbi, was way out of the ordinary. You can't find writings where they would say, good rabbi. That was reserved for God. Because only God is good. Scripture is very clear. Man's heart is deceitful. It needs to be saved. No one seeks God, not even one. All have sinned. All have fallen away. No one is good. And they knew that. And so for him to say that, I'm not sure if he's using fluffed up language, but Jesus calls attention to it. Just what are you saying here? Do you know something about me that I'm really surprised you know? Or maybe even deeper, you're asking me how you obtain eternal life. Well, the only one who can give eternal life is God himself. But if you want to ride this roller coaster, he says, you know the commandments, just follow the commandments, right? He's testing him. He's trying to help him see something very specific. And so he goes through these rules. And it's interesting, some of the, most, all these rules are actually the rules that, the commandments that affect relationships between others. He doesn't go right for the relationship between him and God himself. He's taking a mirror and trying to show him that he is not good. That he is not capable. That he is not good enough. You want to obtain, you want to do something to obtain eternal life? 
You can't. I mean, you can try, you can follow all these rules and regulations. Here's the law. Jesus is trying to make him self-aware. And that's the only thing that the law was meant to do. The law was given to us so that we could be self-aware, that we could know where we fall short, that we could know that we are not good, that we are, there's a distance between us and God, and it's big, and there is nothing that we could do to obtain salvation on our own. Self-awareness is the greatest gift that Jesus could give us besides salvation, Because nobody seeks salvation until they realize they need to be saved. A couple of months ago, I was getting my kids ready. I get the littlest ones ready in the morning before I go to work, as my wife goes to work earlier. And so I get them ready, you know, and then I go down, I start getting myself ready, and I'm I'm doing my hair, and I'm putting my hair gel in, and my daughter comes down the stairs, and she says, uh, uh, Levi's about to run the, the elephant truck down the stairs again. Oh, that's bad. So I quick run up the stairs again and grab them, you know, and make sure everything's good. And I brush their teeth and I put them in the van and we run to the babysitter and we have a conversation with the babysitter. And then there's like a 10 minute goodbye because that's always what happens. Okay, goodbye. Oh, daddy. Okay, goodbye. Oh, daddy. Okay. And then we leave there and then I go off to my first appointment and I have this I have this uh, 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 group that I meet with, with other youth pastors and stuff, and so I get there finally, and um, I'm getting out of the car, and my head just sort of brushes across the rearview mirror, and I get a look at myself, and I realize (laughs) I never comb my hair down. Here I throw the gel in there, and it's just all over the place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, and I don't have a comb or anything. I'm like pulling it down, and it's hard as a rock. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to get it all down and everything. And then it dawns on me, I went to the babysitter like that. And she didn't say anything. Why didn't she tell me that my hair was all messed up? And so then I go back to the babysitter the next day, of course, and I say to her, I'm like, you know, hey, this happened, blah, 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 blah. Why didn't you tell me anything? She's like, I thought it was kind of weird, but I don't know. I thought you were doing a new thing with your hair. I'm like, please tell me next time. Friends, that, was, that is what the law is. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving him a mirror. And he's saying, look, you are out of place. Things are not right. Your, your hair's all messed up. You need a Savior. You, you are not good. You, you're asking me, what do you need to do? And that's not the question you need to be asking, but he doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it, right? Look at verse 20. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Then Jesus knows that. This isn't an odd thing for a person, especially in his position, to think. The rabbis in those days actually taught that if you could, if you could do all the rules, and there was like 600 and some that they'd made up, if you could do them all, then you could be holy enough 
to gain favor from God and then enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he was a powerful, religious, wealthy man. And society in those days believed that if you earned your living and you earned your wealth and influence in an appropriate manner, not like a tax collector who took advantage of everybody or sold out and was treasonous to the, to the Roman Empire or whatever. No, if you earned it legit, then you were a holy man because here you are, obedient and blessed by God, wealthy and powerful. You're a holy man. You must have kept all the rules and regulations. And so it wasn't odd for him to believe this. And Jesus looks at him. Can you see him there on his knees? And Jesus coming down and look at him. And and this blows my mind. It says he loved him. Everything being said here is in love. He's not chastising him. He's not trying to steal his joy. He's not trying to take something from him. He loved him. And he says, you don't lack anything? You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. You think you followed all the rules and regulations? My friend, you haven't even followed the most important one. To love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. You don't love me. You don't see me as God. I want you to get rid of the other God and come follow me. I want you to trade the idol for what is real and powerful and good. And the man can't do it. He doesn't even have the conversation. He doesn't even challenge it. He gets up and he walks away. And it's clear from his face that he's disheartened. He's destroyed inside because this war is going on within him. I know I need something else, but I cannot let this go. I know I need to follow God, but I love the control. This is comfortable. This is powerful. This is easy. I know it. He doesn't realize the very first question. What are you, are you saying that I'm good? Only God is good. If God is calling you to something, it is good. It's the best thing for you. It's divine. 
If you see something clearly, God has reached out. He's invited you to follow him. How could you not drop everything and go after him? God is good. He is salvation. But he didn't, he couldn't do it. You don't want to serve God. Well, he did, but on his own terms. He thought he could actually earn his way salvation. He thought he could control everything. He thought he could put something into it and get some of the glory. But it's not about what you are doing, but it's about who you are with. It's never about you and what you can do. It's always about God and being with him couple of, uh, well, this summer, we went to Jamaica. And while we were there, um, one of the guys that went with us on this missions trip um, got sick. And I won't mention any names, but his name is Nick, and he's in the back there. (laughs) Hi, Nick. He got really sick. And uh, he's, he's, He's got this stomach bug, and we're, it was a lot of puking. And um, the poor guy, seriously, he's such a trooper, too, because I'd be like, are you okay, man? I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But he's, like, literally dehydrating and throwing up every couple minutes. So after, like, a day and a half of this, and I'm not even sure exactly the time frame, we decide that we, we really need to take him to the hospital to make sure he gets fluid and taken care of and get his stomach calm down. And so the leaders and I are kind of talking about what we're going to do. And, and if we get, when we get there, we're going to, you know, explain to him that we do have money for this. We're from the United States and we're, we're, you know, missionaries. We're doing work for specifically for your community, just trying to win some favor, you know. And uh, so we have this plan. Then I go talk to the, the pastors that were serving there, uh, Raphael and his wife, Velda. And they say, don't worry about any of that. I got it all taken care of. Just go with Velda and and things will be taken care of. And so we walk in there and to the to the hospital and there's this big room and there's people all over the place in this room and we walk in with Velda and she goes and talks to somebody and we walk through this big waiting room of people and go to the next room. And there's another room of waiting, you know, where people are getting kind of the uh, their initial checkup, you know, preparing them to go back um, to, to get a bed and she talks to somebody and we walk through that room and then we get into this other area where there's beds and things like that and people are being assigned beds and they're waiting for their turn to talk to a doctor and we walk past that room and then we get to this little desk with a, a computer and, and some paperwork and this guy comes and shakes my hand and says, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so with a really cool Jamaican accent. And he treats him, he diagnoses him, makes a plan for uh, uh, treating him as Nick is throwing up in the trash can. And, <laughs> and then we, we get a bed then right away and he gets the fluids that he needs and everything calms down. And a few hours later, they're working to discharge us. And I go up and talk to the registration people and I say, what do we owe you? And they say, you owe us nothing, you're with the Thomases. And I say, well, that's awesome. (laughs) This, This is the message of the gospel. 
we say this, the word gospel, it means the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. All those rules and regulations, the mirror that you see, your need for a savior, that you're not good enough. If you're with God, you are in. If you're with God, you have the kingdom. If you're with God, you are forgiven. If you're with God, you owe nothing. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to climb the ladder. Stop trying to do something that, that you have control over. We've got to see ourselves in a place where we're down here on our knees, needing a savior. We cannot walk away from the invitation, come follow me. Can you imagine if that guy wouldn't have turned away? If he would have grabbed his head and said, I am in whatever you want. Teach me how to sell the stuff. Teach me how to live for you. The adventure that he would have went on. Jesus is on the way to the great triumphal entry. Palm Sunday is just around the corner. And then there's going to be that celebration as he comes in. And then there's going to be the teaching. He could have seen the crucifixion. He could have seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is young enough and was influential enough and powerful enough and had enough wealth that he could have been a major, major player in the church expanding across the world. And he left it all for what was comfortable, for the idol in his life, for what he could have control over. The sickest thing about our sin is not that we're disobedient. The sickest thing about our sin is not that we, that we caused harm to God or that we harmed other people. The sickest thing about our sin is the absence of God in our sin. You can't climb your way to salvation because the problem is you. And the problem is that God is not with you. The biggest problem of our sin is that we are distant from God and you were created for God. You can't overcome sin without God. You need him. The problem with sin is the absence of God. How in the world are you going to save yourself? How in the world are you going to be good enough I have this conversation with people all the time. We trick ourselves that if we can come into these, these seats and we can sit here and we can do church and we can be good enough for our families and, and nice enough. You know, there's a, a, a family close to uh, us that my wife and I have been praying to for some time now. And, and, and the husband is, is a religious man. And he, he believes in uh, and, and, and Judeo-Christian values, but he doesn't really feel like he can know God, and, but he feels like he can, he can do good things and be good to his family and be good to his community, and he is. I admire him, 
And he thinks that that's going to be enough, that whatever is for him in the afterlife, that that's going to be enough. Friends, don't trick yourself. It's not even about obedience. God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. So many people will come to him and say, I did this, this, and this. I did it in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. How is someone saved? How does somebody escape death? How does somebody gain eternal life? How? The Bible says anyone. It's open to everyone who believes in Jesus, believes in the resurrection, and declares him as Lord. We say around here a lot of time, if you want salvation, you need to have a relationship with God. I'm going to tell you, it needs to be a little bit bigger than that. And, and, and it's not complicated. Don't run away with this. But follow me. This man had a relationship with Jesus. He walked up to him. He even acknowledged him as some sort of like deity teacher. And he got on his knees in an almost a worshipful stance. And I don't think he had any problem with Jesus as provider, any problem with Jesus as, as redeemer, any problem with Jesus as a holy one, any problem with Jesus as maybe even brother and co-heir. I don't think he would have struggled with that doctrine. You know what he struggled with? Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. There is no salvation if Jesus isn't Lord. There's no salvation if you don't see yourself in that mirror, messed up, needing a Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord of our lives. And that's what this passage is about. You want to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, then you love him in the prosperity and you love him in the power and you love him in that he is redeemer and provider and you love him as Lord. And whatever he says is the best thing because he is good. He loved this man and he invited him. He reached out his hand. Come follow me. Are we following Jesus? Friends, we are the rich men and women. The passage here is not saying that rich people can't enter the kingdom of heaven because rich people enter the kingdom of heaven. But their hearts are humbled and they see that everything they have is the Lord's. He is Lord. They need a Savior. They're ready and willing to let go of it all. And that is how they enter into the kingdom of God. We cannot walk away from this invitation. Our capacity is so big. We've got to realign ourselves to Jesus Christ. That company I talked about before, do you know what they're worth today? $2.5 billion for cell phone cases. And Kurt will be the first one, Mr. Richardson will be the first one to tell you that the greatest realignment he did that allowed them to scale so big 
to give the most impact for them and their community. They've transformed the town they're in. It was one day he realized he needed to realign. He needed to think about what mattered most. And he realized the company's not growing because of something. And you know what it was? It was him. He had control over everything. And he was, he was destroying it. And he realized he had to let it go. And friends, it's the same thing in our lives. You want to be what you were created to be. Friends, you were created for a Lord and Savior. You weren't created to control it all. You were created to let it go and give it over to God and follow after him and trust his leading. What is keeping you away from a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, all of him as Lord and Savior? Is there one thing, I want you to think about this, I want you to focus on this as we leave today, is there one thing that you can think of and focus on starting off in 2020 uh, that, that you, you, I don't want to overwhelm you here, I don't want you to think about the hundred different things that you're struggling with, I want you to focus on one thing that you are, are struggling with that is keeping you from a relationship, keeping you from trusting Jesus Christ. Is it, is it a dating relationship, a, a, a girl or a boy that you know, you know God may not be calling you to that and heck, you may not even have asked him about it. Is that an idol in your life? Is that bigger than him? Are, are, you, are you trusting the Lord with your finances? You know, you feel like, you feel like you, you're stretched so thin, right? You can't give to this or that or give to the poor or to your church. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's because God isn't the God of your finances. Maybe you're struggling at work and you just can't say no. Maybe you love people more than you love God. You can't even be candid about your faith at, 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 in the community or, or in your workplace because you're afraid of what people think about you. Maybe you love your kids more than God. And it just... You let them run and rule your schedule and you never stop and think, is this for the love of God? This affects our parenting. It affects what we let them do. Maybe it's your pride. I struggle with this one. You know, maybe you struggle with reconciliation with your, your husband or your wife. She was the one who hurt me first. Your pride keeps you from seeking reconciliation, from, from coming back and working on that relationship. Your pride keeps you from seeking help or confessing your sin. Maybe, maybe the one thing you need to think about is your own personal time with God. That's mine. My wife and I have said this year that we're gonna try to have, and this is a goal, it's just an example for you of one thing. You know, this year, I want to work on my time with God. And you think, you're a pastor, you spend time with God all the time, you study God's Word all the time. And I do study God's Word a lot. And I do it for different reasons, though. I do it for my job. I do it for, for, to making sure that I help other people in their time with God. And a lot of time, I'm not specifically pausing and slowing down to love and communicate and deepen my relationship with him. 
I do it with other important relationships in my life, my kids and my, my wife and so on, but I struggle with that with God. And so this year, we've decided we're going to try to have a, a Sabbath day. I feel like we try to keep all the other commandments, but for some other reason, we don't keep the Sabbath day. But for, for my, me and, and my family, uh, this year, my wife and I are going to try, we're going to start maybe not a, a whole 24-hour period right away, but we're going to work up to that. And it's something we're committing to in the new year. I've also committed to not just a, a, a weekly Sabbath, but a daily Sabbath, some uh, amount of time in the day that I am actually connecting with God. And, and I have an accountability partner, and I've already talked to him about this, and I said, you know, hey, why don't we just text each other every day and just really short, doesn't have to be long, just like, hey, I read this chapter today, or hey, I, I played my guitar for a little bit and sang to God and, and journaled. Just I want to connect and deepen my relationship with Christ. And he's committed to that, and that's what we're doing. These are just examples. What is one thing that you are struggling with, that Jesus isn't enough in, that Jesus isn't Lord over, that you can give over to God this year. I imagine our brains are, are going, you know, and I just, I want you to ask that question. Is it for the love of God? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you so much for this passage. Father, there's so much in here. I pray that you would, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, by your spirit, Lord. You convince us of your love for us and help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. <laughs> I'm incapable. I need you. I'm offering myself to you, Lord. We're calling out to you to have your way in our lives. Lord, I know you are good. We know you are good. Lord, would you help us to trust you? We got a couple of things here that's already popping up in our heads, Lord. Would you, would you give us the ability to follow through on these things? Lord, deepen our love for you. Lord, and may that not just impact this room, but impact our community. For the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.